Open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 20. It's the last commandment that we'll be looking at of the 10. But as you're turning there, I'm going to read you a short little snippet of a story here. Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story in 1886 entitled, How Much Land Does a Man Need? A man named Pahom had become a man of property, but that inflamed inside of him a desire for more land. Through, chance, through a chance meeting, he heard of, of vast lands that could be obtained for little money from a far-off nomadic, nomadic people called the Boschkers. So he traveled to that distant land. It was very beautiful and was choice land. So he asked, what is the price? What would the price be? And the chief said that the price is always the same, 1,000 rubles a day. Paham didn't understand. What kind of measure is that and how many acres would that be? The chief said, we sell it by the day. As much as you can go around on your feet in a day is yours. And the price is 1,000 rubles a day. But in a day, you could get around a large tract of land, he said. The chief laughed. It will be yours, said he. But there is one condition. If you don't, re- excuse me, if you don't return on the same day to the spot where you started, your money is lost. So that means you start here and you go all the way around and you mark your spot. And when you get back, that'll be yours. So Paham received, reached a small hill as the morning began to turn today. And as he he began, he placed in his thousand rubles in the fur fur hat, and he began. He started off at a good pace, but began to pick up the pace as the land became better the farther he went. To include a particular inviting field, he went much too far. Before he set his marker and turned, now he began to hurry faster in the hot sun which was then beginning to set. Exhausted after circling a huge tract of land, he turned back toward the small hill. His legs became weak and sometimes failed him, but he could see that the hill and the bashkers were cheering him on. He looked at the sun, which was beginning to disappear, and he took everything inside of him to continue on. When he got to the hill, the sun disappeared, and he cried, All my labor was in vain. But then he heard the bashkirs See, the sun had not quite set on top of the hill, and they were cheering. And so he pushed harder, and he reached the top, and he saw the chief laughing and holding his sides. The night before, Paham had a dream of a chief laughing at the end, and there was a man laying on the ground, dead, which at a closer look was Paham. And at the top of the hill, Paham remembered the dream and collapsed, and there buried him there. And this is a great illustration of coveting, how he wanted a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more, and he could have had all this land for a small fee, but because his greed took over, his covetous, he went way too far and couldn't get back. Covetousness or greed diseases the whole world of humanity and the whole soul of humanity. It happens every day around the world with the same tragic ending as this story we just saw. This command was given to God's people, and we think it would probably be something that needed to be given to people who are not believers, who are not the children of Israel, to unbelievers, to the world. But this commandment was given to God's people. And so we're going to start with what is covetousness? What is 
covetousness. And we'll look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, you shall not com- covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So we think about this, covet means to desire. Now, in a sense, desire is not a bad thing. Covet is not always a bad thing. But here it is meant for evil, more like a lustful desire. Ancient translations of the Old Testament into the Greek used a word that means lust or passionate longing. Look over in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Paul addresses this. Romans chapter 7, in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So here we start talking about this desire, this evil desire that the covetousness would be part that Paul was speaking of. This, demand is, this command is different from the others that we've been looking at because the others were forbidden actions, where this is forbidding state of the mind. So the ones we've been looking at are actions. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. All of these things. This do not bear false witness. These are now, this one's a, a mindset. It's a state of the mind that we begin to think or believe. And it goes right to the heart where no one can see. Covetousness is an insidious sin. Covetousness is an insidious sin. We're going to look at three passages. Proverbs chapter 21. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 21. Covetousness is an insidious sin. Proverbs 21 verse 26. For he covets grievous, greedily, he greeds, if you want to say, all day long. But the righteous gives and does not spare. So we know that covetousness divides the righteous and the evil people. And it, it's greed many times in our lives. So we know that covetousness would be also greed. Look over in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So we know it divides. Now we look over in Luke chapter 12. Verse 15, Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, Christ speaking, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Jesus is speaking to this young man who was wanted to have his brother divide the family inheritance, and he was covetous of how much his brother was going to get. Jesus said, don't covet the land, and don't covet the things that we don't even really need, but we need to watch our spirits and our hearts, and so many times even against family members. And I've had this a lot in dealing with things, even funerals. And you go into inheritance and things like that, 
and we begin to covet sometimes what another has. And it can even divide righteous and evil. It can divide families, as we saw here. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are of on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness, we're to put it to death because it is idolatry. And we begin to idolize these things that we desire. And that's what Paul was speaking of right there. So what are ways we covet? What are some ways that we covet? And we've looked at some of these in the passages already. But what are some ways that we covet? Number one, and one of the biggest things that we covet, is possessions. We covet what people have. We covet possessions. And in that, we have to be careful because we begin to think things will make us happy. Things will not make us happy. They can, we can enjoy them for a short period of time, but things do not make us happy. And what happens is we look around, and, and, and not only does it make it happy, but we want what that person has. And we'd rather us have it than they have it. So we begin to covet what they have and the possessions that they have, and we become jealous and we want their things. Next that we can do, number two, would be people. People. And we all know the main one, you can say, you don't covet someone else's wife, let's say. But it's even, it's even more than that in a sense, because we kind of get that. We kind of go into that with adultery. But sometimes we could covet someone's kids. You may go, how would you do that? Well, if I was to say, well, I wish my son or daughter was like that. I wish they were that good in sports or music or school or whatever. I wish my child acted like that. In a sense, that is coveting. Wanting your child to be that. Family. I wish my family was like, not like my family, but I wish I had their family. That would be people. Number three, position. Their position or status, position. And this is really a lot of times, and sometimes you can struggle like this even in ministry. If you're not the senior pastor, you want to, you covet, you want to be the senior pastor. Or you're the senior pastor of the church, and you want to be the senior pastor of that other church. Because those people like them, they think. <laughs> I don't know where that even came from. But anyway. At your job. I wish I had their job. I would be happy if I had their job. I want their position. I want, and we do it. And it's, here's the thing. We know the game, meaning we're good at hiding it. And we can all do it in the name of the Lord. And we can just think and go, you know, I just, I want to desire to have their position. No. Many times we want their position and they're them to have ours. Next would be accomplishments. Accomplishments. What they have achieved. And when people achieve a certain accomplishment, we get jealous or we want, we get, we covet what they received. Especially if it's something that we're both being 
um, running for, if you want to say, or trying to achieve, and they get the accomplishment and we don't, we covet that. We go, I wish I had that. I should have got I. And sometimes we, we catch ourselves doing that and we realize, I'm not really coveting, but in a sense we are. Because we're not encouraging them to forget. And then the last, number five, would be spiritual. Spiritual ways we covet. When God blesses someone else, that is hard. And you may go, well, that's not really hard, but it is. When God blesses some other family, when God blesses some other, their kids, when God blesses some other person with a, with a, uh, a raise or a promotion, when God blesses another church, pastors get jealous and covet. And so we have spiritual ways that we covet. Covetousness also produces relational death. A Greek fable captured the essence of this when it was told of a covetous man to whom the gods wanted, granted him any wish he liked on the condition that his neighbor would get twice as much of it. Now think about that. So that means I get to have a wish of anything I want, but my neighbor gets twice as much as what I asked for. Unable to bear the thought of his neighbor coming out better than he, he wished to lose one eye. Oh, don't act like that. That would be all of us, okay? Every one of us would do that. One arm, whatever. We can survive with one arm and he'll lose both. Or... Isn't, that, isn't that true of us? And you stop and think about it. If you can have anything in the world and your neighbor would get twice as much... We would all, none of us probably would go, I want a million dollars so they can get two million. Everyone else would probably go, just like that old man. What could I lose and get rid of? And they lose more. Called the stock market. Anyway, how do you, what did that come from? How do we overcome this and make a discipline of grace with this? So here's some ways to grow in this commandment. This is what I want to challenge you with tonight. Here's some ways to, to show grace in this commandment. We all know we shouldn't covet, but here's the first thing we need to do is be loving. Be loving. Look over in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Verse 19, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. His love from heaven enables us to love him back and then to love others. We're not capable of doing that without God's love. And this is precisely the, stru the structure of the Ten Commandments because the first four instruct us in loving God and the next six about loving others. So we understand that the way to love others is to intensely love God. Do this truly and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And thus will be liberated from sinful coveting. If I truly love God and I love others, I will not covet what they have. Because I will be for them in the things that they do have. If I truly love God and love others... 
I will be happy with their accomplishments. If I truly love God and then I love others, I will be happy when they're blessed spiritually. I'll be happy with their financial blessings. I'll be happy with their possessions that they have. I'll be happy for their family and all that they have. So we need to be loving. Next, we need to be seeking. Be seeking. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Be seeking. Most of you are familiar with this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. His explicit meaning here is that we, he will provide everything necessary for a rich, full life to his children who seek his sovereign reign. If we are kingdom seekers and as such have everything, we will have no need to covet anything. Kingdom seekers are not coveters. And if you are tempted to covet, become seekers of his kingdom and his righteousness, and you will not covet. Because, see, the desire that we have, what we will covet or long for, would be to be more like him. And to benefit, if you want to say, or promote, or show people, lead them towards his kingdom. And doing, laying up treasures above and not things on this earth. And so if we can learn to be kingdom seekers... And thinking of him, Christ, God, his righteousness, and trying to seek that, we will not try to fulfill our own desires and be coveters. Next, number three, be feeding. Be feeding. Look over in John 6, 35, so we will need to be feeding. John 6, 35. John 6, 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So one of the things to be full of Jesus is to be in a state where covetousness is out of mind. Feeding on his word, and it fills us, and it's not the things of this world filling us, but it's Jesus Christ and his word. And if we're feeding on the word of God, we will feel full spiritually. We will feel full and we won't need the things of this earth and this world to fill us. Because God's word will fill us. And he is the bread of life. And no one hungers or thirsts that comes to him. And, and when we're filling our lives with his word, then we, we come under conviction sometimes and we'll find ourselves thinking of others and not ourselves, thinking of the Lord and recognizing this is sin in our life. And then it allows the Holy Spirit to convict us of the ways that we covet other people. And then number four, to be content. To be content. We must actively be content. We must actively be contenting our soul with Christ. Content souls do not covet. So we're going to look at about four passages here. John chapter 4, verse 14. Flip back just a page or two. John 4, 14. So we're contenting our souls with Christ. Chapter 4, verse 14. 
Whoever drinks of the water that it shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Jesus is enough to fill us. And many times we don't understand that. We do not believe it because many times we haven't tried it. We have to put our put Jesus and his word in our life. Look over in Philippians 4.11. Philippians 4.11. Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul had learned Jesus' way of being content. He said, no matter what state I'm in, I'm going to be content. Whether that be my health, whether that be my finances, whether that be my living conditions, whether that be the things I have, the things I don't have, wherever I'm at, I've learned. And again, I think it's interesting. I've learned, I've learned, I've learned... I've learned, one more time, I've learned, you know what's important about that statement? It's not natural. It's not natural to us. It's not, it's not we're born being content. I have not met a child yet who is content. They come out of the womb and they are not content. They are not happy with their dirty diaper just sitting there. They are not happy when we put them down to lay down, and they don't want to lay down. They are not content when you're holding them. They're not content when you're walking through the store, and they say, I want that. And you go, no, you can't have that. They want more. And the thing is, is that we have to learn to be content. And Paul had to learn that whatever state I'm in, I am content. Look over in Philippians 4.19. 4.19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. God meets our needs. Everything that we need, God can meet. But if we set our desires on earthly things, things and set our mind on earthly things we are not seeking the things above we're not seeking his righteousness we're seeking earthly things and if we set our mind on it we're going to covet it we're going to want it we're going to we're going to lust after it and when we start pursuing that we're going to fall and we can't live a life that brings honor and glory to the lord we cannot be content when we have our minds set on earthly things. Because if we set our mind on earthly things, what that means is we want it. And here's the thing about the world. The world is good at marketing things we don't need. And I mean the world. I'm not saying the bad thing. I'm just saying advertisers. I was a marketing major. And one of the things that I learned is how to get someone to buy something they do not need. That is what they taught us. Not things they need, because they'll go buy those. But the key to good advertising is to have someone buy something they do not need. 
I think back to we had we had some we didn't even have wood floors at this time. We had some tile and carpet in our house. And Ellie was small, my daughter, and she was watching television. And she come hollering at Dad, Dad, we need to get one of these. And I said, What is it? And I went and looked. It was a Swiffer. We had nothing to Swift. And I said, Sister, we don't even have. But Dad, look how fun it looks. And I said, Well, you're not going to be the one Swiffing, number one. So, <clears throat> but that's what advertisers do. But here's the thing. When we set our mind on earthly things, we don't need any advertising. Because we look and we desire and we'll do anything we can to get it. And then look over in 1 Timothy 6, 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It didn't say just godliness is great gain. Godliness with contentment. It is very difficult to be content. In many ways, we can be godly in a lot of things, but then we still desire a little bit more. We're going to look a little bit into that in a moment. Henry VI said this, My crown is in my heart, not on my head, not decked with diamonds and Indian stones, nor to be seen. My crown is called content, a crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. And I think that's true. A crown that is seldom enjoyed by kings or even us. A A proper coveting is the answer to sinful coveting. So this isn't on your paper, but we're going to talk just a little bit about this as we close. A proper coveting is the answer to sinful coveting. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. You can turn back there. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. First Corinthians 12, 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul writes to covet for yourself to grow in the knowledge of God and even his gifts, his way. That there is a way that we can covet or lust or desire. And that is to grow more in God's grace, to grow more in the knowledge of who he is. St. Augustine wisely instructs, be always displeased with what thou art. Always add, always walk, always proceed. Neither stand still, nor go back, nor deviate. We should always be moving forward. And we should always be growing in grace. There's a more excellent way, Paul says, we should be growing in that way. And not be just stopped. Sometimes we think content means to be just stopped. I'm content with where I am spiritually. No, We need to covet and we need to grow. We need to covet to grow more to be like Christ. To be closer to the Lord. To have a better understanding of his word. To grow in his knowledge. 
And then we also, we must covet the best for others through our prayers. So not only do we covet for ourselves to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, but we covet for others through our prayers. Here's some things we ought to pray. We ought to prayerfully covet for others to be blessed. We can covet for others to be blessed. Not us, but others. We can pray for our friends and family to be prosperous. Not to have them fall in sin, but again to be blessed and prosperous. We can pray for their marriage to be blessed. But usually we want them to struggle like us or be worse than us so we feel better about ours, even with prosperity. Pray that their position and influence will increase. That they will be continue to grow in their position and their in and their and their influence will increase. That they'll have a greater influence on others, and we pray that that would be a godly influence. Pray that they will accomplish great things. And this is hard sometimes. This is hard, and I think about even in ministry. That for. Me to pray for other pastors and things to accomplish great things. Because sometimes we don't want, we don't want to accomplish best great things and us not. And then we, we're jealous of each other. It happens in the pastoral world. It happens inside the church. And it's really crazy. We're very seldom do parents pray for other children to accomplish great things. We want ours to. But if others do and ours doesn't, that makes us look bad as parents. But if we truly love God and love others, we will even pray for their spouses, their kids, whatever, to accomplish great things. We pray that they will grow in grace. We can covet that and say, Lord, I covet that they grow in grace. And we have this desire, this longing, this, longing, this desire for them to grow in grace. And if we will do these things, pray for ourselves in desire and long lust, if you want to say, for us to grow in the knowledge of who God is, then also we'll pray for others to be able to do the same. We will not fall into sinful covetousness because we will have their desires in our heart. We'll have our desire to grow to be like him, seeking his kingdom his righteousness, and we won't be seeking self. See, everybody's seeking one of two things, seeking either a self or his kingdom and his righteousness. And many times in our life when we start focusing on seeking ourself, we're going to covet what others have. And it happens like that. And we could go through the Bible and all these illustrations one of them that I think of, and you're very familiar with it, so I want to use it, is when David, he coveted Uriah's wife. And when he did that, we know it led to sin, as James 1 said, if we seek our own desires, give birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. And it brought forth sin, and then when he tried to cover the sin, it brought forth death. Where did it all start? Well, number one, he was disobedient to God. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. But really, he began to covet in his heart something that was not his. We look at Achan, 
when he went in and they did Jericho and they destroyed Jericho and they were told to get rid of everything, destroy everything. And he didn't do that. He paid for it. His family paid for it. His possessions paid for it because he coveted what was not his. And if we can learn that's selfish because we want what's not ours. But if we seek his kingdom, his righteousness, we won't sinfully covet. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time that we can have tonight. And Lord, it is so easy in our heart. As we looked at tonight, this last commandment is a state of the mind. And Lord, how that our mind, where sometimes, many times in our heart and mind is where sin originates. And Lord, as we look into your word tonight, we realize that coveting can be a state of our mind. It is a state of our mind. It's in our heart that we desire what is not ours. Lord, we begin to try to fulfill our selfish desires and needs instead of relying on you. And Lord, in filling our life with you. And Lord, you promised that as we looked in your word, you will fill us, you will complete us. And we won't need the things of this world. We don't need to have our minds set on the things of this world. But Lord, but our minds set upon you. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us as we as we do covet in the right way to know more and be more like you. And Lord, also as we pray for one another. Lord, we love you and thank you that, God, you sent your son to die so that we could have life, we could have hope. Thank you for your word so that we can know more about you and how to live a life to bring honor and glory to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.